0: Go ahead and be seated. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would be glorified in our midst today. I ask that you would take my feeble words and that you would make your word clear in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been going through the the Gospel of Matthew, so go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And I did that big faux pas. (laughs) I did not just leave my Bible on the pew. Um, But go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 7. and we're, we're going to go through two verses in it. But before, before we actually read them, um, I've asked you this question before, but I'll ask it again. Have you ever met a person so well acquainted with sorrow, yet so solidly convinced of the beauty of Jesus, that their, their perseverance encouraged you to persevere? For me, most of the people that I've met like this have actually been dead. Uh, I've met them in books. Uh, Reading biographies specifically have been helpful to my soul, have encouraged me in times of trial, um, and have carried me through some of the darkest times of my life. Uh, John Piper, who is former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, has actually written 21 biographies. And they're contained in three people books. And the books are really short reads. They're like this thick. so in every book you, you, you get three different people that have, that have endured trials that you and I usually won't even dream of. And uh, there's actually a, 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 a like all of the books in one it's called 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. So I've read most of those, but also on, on the the ministry website that that John Piper has ran called desiringgod.org there's a bunch of messages and mini-biographies that are blog-length. So instead of book-length, blog-length. So instead of 100 pages, it's around 400 words. (laughs) Um, And one of them, it's actually a whole message, is entitled, uh, Insanity and Spiritual Songs in the Soul of a Saint, Reflections on the Life of William Cowper." Now, I, don't, I doubt many of you have heard the name William Cowper before. Uh, however, he's one of the most accomplished hymn writers uh, of, of all Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he suffered under grave mental illness, though. His best friend, uh, a guy named John Newton who you may know as the author of Amazing Grace, another hymn, who's also well-known in starting the end of the slave trade in the United Kingdom and Great Britain. Um, He was friends. They were friends. They were pals. So William Cowper, John Newton were good friends. Cowper suffered with deep depression and was uh, was, was actually housed in an insane asylum for much of his life much of his adult life. And, and mind you, he had a mental break due to various massive struggles. It wasn't just that, that the dude was fine one day and the next day he's, uh, he's sitting in the chicken coop, like clucking. Uh, he's, he, he had some massive struggles, massive trials, got housed in the insane asylum, and eventually John Newton took him home to live with him and his wife just so he could receive... Care, personal care. Uh, he was a uh, Newton was a great grace to Cowper, but in 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 during this time of depression, of of situational struggles, of of sheer darkness in his life, he penned over a hundred and thirty hymns. Through all of that insanity that he suffered, he still managed to see and savor the beauty of Jesus. So much so that when, when Cowper died in the year 1800, his friend, John Newton preached at his funeral. And in it, he quoted Exodus 3, 2 saying, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed which is kind of an odd funeral verse, if you ask me. But Newton related that verse to his friend, saying this, I know of no text in the whole book of God's word more suited to the case of my dear friend than I've read. He was indeed a bush in flames for 27 years, but he was not consumed. That's what it's like to endure, to have a friend look at you in the midst of all your struggles, all your trials, all your pains, and for them to be encouraged in the faith. Cowper suffered. I mean it. He, he had a life literally full of pain, tragedy, disappointment, utter despair. Uh, while he was housed in the insane asylum, he had dreams where he, he, in the dream, God was condemning him and saying he was done with him and through with him. Cowper uh, continued to question his own salvation. Um, but in the midst of it, again, he wrote hymns one of which we're going to sing at the end of the service called There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And in the midst of all these struggles that he's going through, he can write these hopeful, expectant words. Listen to this. When this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. That is a heart satisfied with Christ, no matter what. Uh, Today we're going to be talking in Matthew chapter 7, specifically verses 13 and 14. Um, We're going to be talking about the expectations that we Christians should have and also non-Christians should have in terms of, of, of life and eternity we're going, to be, we're going to explore some of the possible struggles that, that we as Christians should be prayer, prepared for, and what the warning really is to both the saved and the unsaved. We're not going to examine the life of William Cowper, but he is a saint who gives us a window into some of the ways that the Lord intends these verses to be read, the warnings associated with them. So let's read our text for the day. So again, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. So just thinking about these two roads, right? We've got the the easy road and we've got the hard road. We've got the wide gate and we've got the narrow gate, Thinking about them, Jesus begins with an imperative, which is translation speak, by the way, when we're translating the Bible. There's certain cases that we would translate as uh, a maybe, which is a subjunctive. Um, there's there's the, the, the case of reality, which is the indicative. This, Jesus begins with an imperative, meaning it's a command, it's a decree by God himself. Enter by the narrow gate. Honestly, reading those verses, why would you want to just just think about that the 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 wide gate we hear is easy. Think about it in terms of a road trip. Would you rather take the interstate or a dirt road to cross the country? You would take the interstate every single time and 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 it's 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 not just that it's the interstate it's a it's a freshly paved, beautiful section of the interstate. And then the hard road is not just dirt. It's, it's encased in, in hard, jagged rocks that scrape the side of your car the entire way along. Uh, it's got cliffs that you have to drop off of uh, in order to continue going. It's also got frequent mudslides that push you back. The way is hard. So again, if I had to choose between two ways, I'm going to choose the interstate every single time. Why? Because I'm going to get to my destination quicker. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have my life at risk, except for, you know, semi-truck drivers, but that's another conversation. But, but I'm not going to have my life at risk the whole time. I'm, uh, and, and I know, I know, we've got cultural proverbs. It's not about the journey, or it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not saying that the journey is the important thing. How do I know that? Because Jesus gives two very clear destinations. The easy way, destruction. The hard way, life. Now, if I had to choose a destination between those two, I would obviously choose life. I don't want to lead to destruction but I also don't want to travel a hard road. So Jesus is giving a very clear warning on on two fronts here. Mm -hmm. Um, The destination is important. The destination of the wide gate, destruction. The destination of of the narrow gate, life. So which one would I want to choose? Do I care more about the journey or the destination? Because if I care more about the journey, it's going to be an easy road. Every single time. It's going to be the easy road. So in your bulletins, you've got those two fill-ins. Point number one is going to be the narrow path is perilous. Oh, there might be a typo in my slide. I'm sorry. Um, So here's the reality, Christians. And I'm speaking specifically to Christians in this room. Not that I don't think anybody's unsaved, but or, uh, yeah, not saved, but but, but Christians face unimaginable tortures, don't they? We think primarily in terms of overseas missions, where people's bodies are at risk at all times. Um, it really doesn't happen as much here. But just to put it in our mind, I, I once heard a story of a man who fled Iran because the Iranians were actually starting to use chemical weapons on buildings they thought were houses of Christian worship. So he fled. He was the one in his family that, that was a Christian, the one in the family that got away. Um, he came to America. He settled. He had a family. Uh, years passed. And then his, uh, somebody in his family died. And he decided to go back to Iran to to attend this funeral. He got plane tickets, got passport. He's a naturalized citizen now, so he's 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 an American citizen, he's able to go. He gets to the airport, and the police come and arrest him. He gets taken into a prison, he gets beaten, he gets starved. He nearly dies several times, all the while his family has no idea. His family in America has no idea what happened to him. But you know who did know? His family in Iran, because they sold him out. They told the police that he was coming, that he was a Christian, why he fled. He broke Iranian laws. So therefore, he was allowed to be punished. He did not give up his faith, or, or we hear about stories in, uh, of Iran, we hear about stories of the Middle East in general, we hear about stories of, of China, where people's bodies are at risk, where Christians are kidnapped, they're stolen from their homes under the cover of night, uh, where, where they just disappear. The neighbors don't know what happened. The church doesn't know what happened. The person's just gone. Their family, gone. Gone. So Christians face tortures in body, but more in other countries. Christians here are not liable to be beaten just for having faith. Now, there's exceptions to the rule, but I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to go down the exceptions. I just want us to understand, in general, we don't have to suffer that way. But one, 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 thing, one way that we do tend to suffer here is not just in our body, but it's also in our mind and our heart. And the people who suffer bodily also suffer in this ways, or the, this way. Um, get mocked. We Christians here get mocked in educational spheres. We get mocked publicly on social media, personally or in other major, major media, publicly, but not personally. Stupid Christians. They believe X, Y and Z. How could somebody be raised from the dead? We know medically that could never happen. Here's a list of several doctors who want to point out how stupid Christians are. We suffer that way. We also suffer politically because Christians, specifically, are called intolerant and hateful when our aims are hopefully gospel, not cruelty. But then there's a third way that we suffer here, and it's a way that I've always found fascinating. Christians here tend to suffer very grave illnesses. And I know that happens everywhere. I I, I get that. But the stories of people that persevere in the midst of sickness are just incredible to me. Uh, If you get a chance and you have a Netflix account, watch the movie American Gospel. It tells the story of a a woman who has a, a rare genetic disorder and that genetic disorder basically shuts down her body. She's dying. She's not much older than me, and she's just dying. Her body is shutting down while her mind remains intact, and, and her husband has to deal with a lot of medical things, and this sickness drove them to trust Christ. They are walking a hard, hard path. Turns out their daughter also has the same genetic disorder, taking, uh, taking form much sooner than her mom. And sometimes Christians in that situation suffer due to lack of money to pay for medical aid, or maybe family that that doesn't want to deal with them and so they just walk away from the situation. But we suffer bodily, just not really at the hand of others, more at the hand of providence, more at the hand of God, somehow bringing in these, these, these problems. And it's hard for us to understand why something so deadly, so horrible, so awful could, could be for our good, and yet the Bible says it is. So thinking of these ways, body, mind, heart, sickness, who would choose that? Why? Why would somebody choose that? Be, it would be easy from a cultural standpoint to just give in, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be easy for us to just uh, become a power of positivity cult? To start, start focusing on the good in everybody and, and, uh, and get everyone to like us because we're just so gosh darn likable? Wouldn't it be easier for us to just amend our biblical convictions in order to become popular? And I'll, I'll be frank, it's not that hard to be popular. Um, you just have to figure out what everybody's saying and do that. It's not hard at all. Wouldn't that be an easier road? One filled with pleasure and joy? One filled with easiness? Because on the interstate, if, you're, if your car breaks down, there might be somebody that pulls over and helps you change your tire, might even give you money for gas. On the narrow road, it might be days before you get help. You might even get eaten by a cougar before, uh, before you, you're done. And for the record, everybody, everybody here ought to remember that I have an irrational fear of cougars. So that's, that is my nightmare coming taking shape. So why would anyone do that? Why, why would anyone decide to go through this narrow gate and the, the hard road? Why? Jesus himself actually even warns his listeners uh, in Luke chapter 14, he tells, his peop- he tells people listening to him to count the cost. So Luke 14, 26 to 33, Jesus says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, that's like everybody in my life. Even me, I have to. I have to hate myself. Whoever does not bear his own cross, which, by the way, means we we carry our own shame and guilt and 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 and, and struggle. Crosses are not light. Jesus had to carry it after being whipped, for for no good reason. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 and meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other's yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and, and asks, begs for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is kind of a glim gospel message, isn't it? Most of the time when we hear the gospel, we're, we're told, hey, love Jesus. God will take care of you. It'll be wonderful. Sunshine, rainbows, a bunch of kumbaya, maybe a fire, and some dude playing a guitar. Not you. You don't need to learn to play the guitar. But somebody else always does. That's the rule in Christianity. Someone can play guitar. Except here. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but Jesus tells people, count the cost. Consider Consider what you're walking into. You're walking, if you want to be a Christian, you are going to walk a hard path. If you want it easy, if you want an easy way out, take the wide one. Uh, when I was young, my friend and I wanted to go on a carnival ride. I think it was called the Mega Slide. I really honestly can't remember. It's something that's popped up in my nightmares since. Uh, but, but the way it worked is there was this huge slide that was like six lanes. And you, you, at the bottom, you pay your ticket fee. You get a potato sack. Uh, and you have to march up these stairs in a long line. You get up to the top. You slide down. It's, it's, it's a whole bunch of fun so my buddy, my buddy and I, we want to do it. Slides, we're like eight. Slides are the best, so we want to do the slides, so we, we, we get in line, we go all the way up, we get to the top, and you know what? We look down, and we go, maybe not, (laughs) and we kind of look at each other, and we're like, "Uh, it's not worth it, like, we counted the cost. We realized that was not worth it. We did not want to go down. So we turned back around and walked all the way down those stairs that we had just waited in line in the hot baking sun for. No shade. You're going up. I mean, who's going to put an awning on stairs going up? So we're going all the way down. And sure, there's people on the way that are like, no, 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 press on. Press on. enjoy. It's so much fun, man. Just keep on going. We're just walking by holding the potato sacks in front of us so we can't see all these people talking to us. Um, we get down to the bottom, we present our potato sacks, um, and we walk up to my dad, who's got a fiery, disappointed gaze, because he just paid for that ride. And, and we, we paid to walk upstairs. Like, if we wanted to pay to walk upstairs, pay my dad every time we went home. But he looked at us, but you know what? Honestly, we were assured we had made the right decision. We counted the cost and decided it wasn't worth it despite the fact that everybody that was doing it was really having quite a time. Such are those who walk the way to destruction, friends. They're assured that they're making the right choices, regardless of the truth. See the Christian life is is dangerous. It's easy to walk a path of comfort, of easiness, of cultural appropriation, giving in to the demands of others. The Christian life, if I were to describe it, is a life of resistance, resistance from our own sin, resistance from cultural pressure, resistance from everything. It's, it's like standing resolute in a river that's flooding and trying not to get washed down the stream, holding on for dear life to whatever we can grab on. That is the Christian life. It's not, it's not easy. It's, it's, not, it's not really that glorious either. But that's just our Christian life. Remember, if we want the easy way, if we want to step out of the river, if we want to go ride on the interstate, that is only good for as long as we are here on this earth, which is maybe 80, 90 years. What about after that? See, a Christian knows the tortures in this life are immeasurable to the glory that they will one day see. So point two. The narrow gate leads to life and eternal joy. Jesus' own words, his command of enter by the narrow gate, why would he call people to a hard life? Why would he call people to something that he says is what we should do when it's supposed to be hard? Why would he do that? Because it leads to life. Uh, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, writes Paul in Romans 8.18. Later in Romans 8, let's list off some of the things that he lists as, as the present sufferings not worth comparing. He says, tribulation. That's a big word. I don't really care about that one. Distress. I don't really like that one. Persecution. Okay, we're getting bad. Famine. Uh, okay, nakedness, nobody nobody wants to see that. Danger, cougars. Uh, Sword. What of those sufferings, friends? Paul would say they are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. So when Jesus says, take the narrow path, He's not just keeping in mind some future destination. He's saying, listen, it leads to life. It is hard. It, it, it's, it's not going to be good. If you want an easy life, take the other road. But I'm telling you, it leads to destruction. Our trials as Christians, uh, they, they break us, don't they? Don't they? I mean, in the, 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 the months I've been here, which has not been that long, we've had to deal with cancer. We've had to deal with kidney issues. We've prayed for one another as, as, as children have died. Our trials break us. They cause us to cry out to God for relief. They bring us together and, and, and make us cry hot, horrible tears. The ugly tears with the snot that comes out of the nose with it. They drive us into the loneliest and darkest corners of our homes. They break us. Jesus was not always positive. He warned us. He said, this way is going to be hard. The narrow gate where there's not many people, it's going to be hard. But it leads to life. We could spend the rest of our lives complaining to one another of our sufferings and our difficulties, our medical and emotional problems, and to some extent we should actually spend a major portion of our lives doing that. Because if you're hiding your struggles, you're not doing yourself any good. We need to be able to pray for one another. But some trials, some things we go through, they crush us. They gash open wounds in our hearts that hurt more than the last time it happened. Sometimes they even break our minds, like William Cowper. Sufferings are no small thing. They hurt. But again, they hurt for this life only. Our trials, everything we go through in the Christian life, has a redemptive aspect to it. Meaning no matter what we're going through, there is not just a light at the end of the tunnel, But when we get to the end of the tunnel, what's behind us is going to seem so meager, so small, so insignificant in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul, who is another guy who has every single right to, to, uh, to be in the William Cowper situation, I mean, when he lists off those things, right, the, the, the tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, he personally suffered every one of those. He's not coming up with some random list, like a, like a board of problems and just throwing darts at it. You know, I'm going to pick eight or seven, or I can't even count. I'm a pastor. I don't need to count. I just... I don't need to be good at math. I just need to read. Um, but he writes this to the Corinthians. For this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. These light momentary afflictions. Tribulation, cancer, Death, distress, persecution, poverty, famine, suffering of any kind, nakedness, danger, sword, cougars, whatever it is, we're we're being prepared in these light, momentary afflictions for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The narrow gate leads to life life that lasts forever in the arms of the giver of life, free from sin and death and, 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 and guilt and struggle and shame. When Jesus says, go for the narrow gate, it's not because Jesus goes, yeah, man, I, <laughs> I want to see how much you struggle. It's because he knows that what's, what's through that gate salvation through himself is so much better. How does Jesus know that? Jesus suffered on earth for us. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Have you sinned in your struggles recently? Yes, I can unequivocally say as your pastor (laughs) that you have sinned in your struggles. Every one of us, none of us is guiltless in terms of our actions. Jesus resisted sins where we do not, where we cannot, Where where we should be rightly condemned for all eternity. We should be pushed straight off the cliff of destruction Jesus became the narrow gate for us. The one who endured all sufferings on my account, on your account, on anybody that calls out to him. What we go through on this earth is 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 pitiable in comparison to what he endured, but he still sympathizes with us. He's not the one looking down on us going, "Man, you <laughs> I went through worse." You ever, be with someone, you ever been with someone like that? That no matter what you do or no matter what you suffer with, they got to one-up you. <laughs> they they got to be like, oh, man, yeah, you broke your leg, you got a hip replacement, you got cancer. Well, there was one time I... <laughs> Jesus is not that dude. That dude has been me a lot. I'm sorry. Um, but Jesus suffered and did not sin. You and I suffer; we do sin, which is why He became the narrow gate for us, leading us to life. That is being in His presence for all eternity, in the presence of the One uh, who is the path of life, who is fullness of joy, and who is pleasures forevermore. We read that Psalm sixteen eleven. When you and I are done on this earth, we're going we're, we're to end life, walk into eternity, and we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to look at all of our sins and all of our afflictions and we're going to say, wow, none of that compares to how wonderful you are. This is the hope that has allowed Christians for centuries and for a man like William Cowper to endure all that he went through. And when he dies, whisper, gain. I have gained it all. And I do want to kind of throw a parenthesis in here. This is not a hope for the place of heaven, some eternal retirement joint where you get to play golf uh, and, and, and get, to, get to, you know, go sing with Jesus and actually have a voice that sounds good. I'm talking about myself. Um... It's not some, uh, some hope of the place of heaven. It's not, it's not a big, big house with lots and lots of room. It's <laughs> the, the hope that we have is not of the place of heaven. No, it's the person of Jesus Christ who resides in heaven. It's a hope that God continues to nourish in us through all of our struggles by the, by the help and aid of his spirit. It's a narrow gate, it's it's a hard way, but it leads to life. So, therefore, enter by life's gate, not destruction's gate. Do not go through the way of destruction. The way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few, which, by the way, if you want to be popular, if you want to be in the in crowd, if you want to be part of part of the majority fall from Christianity, walk away, go do what's popular, go go affirm every unbiblical belief, go join your positivity cult, count the cost, worthless. Because, because it, I, I, I've had to see this time and time again, where I watch friends who, who were in youth group because we were popular. Well, they were popular. They were in youth group. They were popular. I, I wasn't. And and <laughs> wasn't even popular in youth group. Anyway, so we were in youth group, popular kids. And you know what happens as life goes on? They prove 1 John 2.19, which says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. It's like standing on the edge of a cliff and watching somebody hop down to the next the next little platform, and it's a bottomless pit. And they're like, well, maybe there's something good down here. And here I am at the top of the cliff screaming at them, pleading with them, come back up, please. <laughs> this is not where you want to be. Down there is destruction, and I'm, I'm helpless. That's what it feels like. So if you don't count the cost, if you don't think that the way is going to be hard, if you're looking for an easy life, Depart, but then also hear the gospel, the good news that that Jesus died for your sins. That guilt and shame that you bear is is there to turn you towards this beautiful Jesus who, who makes every suffering look paltry by comparison. It's like having a candle versus a, 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 a lighthouse light. Could not remember the word lighthouse. What's going to light the sea better? A lighthouse, a spotlight, or a candle? When you shine a spotlight on a candle, the candle disappears. That's what our sufferings are going to be like when we see Jesus. That is good news. That is gospel news. That causes us to turn to Jesus and say, yes, I want that. It causes people like William Cowper to endure all their days writing praise songs in the midst of dreams of God coming to you and saying, I'm done with you. Do you want that abiding hope? Then look to Jesus. Listen, I have very little doubt that William Cowper's in the presence of Christ at this very moment. Why? Because I've read his hymns. Think of his hymns as 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 diary entries or journals. He has one called, uh, called the friend of the friendless. In it, he writes, God of my life, to thee I call afflicted at thy feet I fall. When the great water floods prevail, leave not my trembling heart to fail. That is a man clinging to Christ with every ounce of their being Poor thou I am despised forgot yet God my God forgets me not and he is safe and must succeed for whom the Lord vouchsafes to plead Are you are you clinging to Christ are you, with every ounce of your being, remembering that every struggle, every suffering, every pain, every trial, every sickness, every, every persecution will, will be nothing by comparison to the glory, the wonder, the beauty of Jesus Christ? His path is narrow. His way is hard. But it leads to life. Remember, as Cowper's madness worsened, as his body failed, John Newton could still joyfully look to him and call him a bush not consumed by the fire. Such is the life of true Christians. We all have agonies, sufferings, yet we face them knowing that Christ purchased for us an eternal weight of glory with his own blood. We all suffer, but we ought to suffer knowing that he is good and will be good for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord, help us all to want, to desire, to enter through the narrow gate. Help us to, to forsake the, the, the wide gate, the, the easy way. When we could have an easy way out, I pray that you would stir in us by your spirit and that we would rely on you to stir in us a desire to, to, to flee, to repent, to fight back against whatever it is that's making it easy for us. And instead, let us cling to you, knowing that even as the jagged rocks crush the side of our vehicles as we're driving down the road, that even those jagged rocks are the grace of you. They will one day help us praise you better, to love you more, to delight in you more deeply, to sing your praises forevermore. In Jesus' name, Amen. The way is hard. Um, the way, the way to the, the the way that leads to life is difficult. But the Christian lives a life of redeeming love, redemption by the hand of. The Lord who secured it with his death, his own blood, washed you of your sins. Go in peace, saints.